Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, church family. My name is Kim Balthaser. I serve in the hospitality team. And this morning, our text is from Psalm 16, 1 through 11. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my God. I have nothing good beside you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I always let the Lord guide me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to, to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for being the refuge that we can run to because you are God, and you remain faithful forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, you may have a seat. You can grab your Bibles. We'll be in, again, Psalm 16, and we're continuing our series, Summer in the Psalms. So some of you may be spending summer in the sun, and we're doing it in the Psalms. So that's what we're doing, summer in the Psalms, and again, We'll be going through Psalm 16 together. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Stronger Together. Stronger Together. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was reminded about, again, many of you know this, born and raised in Southern California. And in Southern California, we would have the equational earthquake, right? And so in our schools, we have to practice for said earthquake when it would come and we go through this drill, the earthquake drill. And what they'd have us do is pretend things were shaken and go for shelter. And that shelter would be under these rickety old desks, right? Dive under desks because these things are going to protect you. And it's funny, at the time, I didn't think much of it. It didn't seem quite right, but it's the only thing we got. Now I'm thinking back, like, oh my goodness. Like, we're depending on these little flimsy desks to protect us if this building comes down. Or if you don't have a desk or a table, they say get in a doorway. And thinking back, when I've seen collapsed houses, I've never seen a bunch of doorways sitting around, right? Like the things we put our trust in are funny sometimes. And so it got me thinking, as we look at Psalm 16, when life gets shaky, where do you seek shelter? When hard things happen, your world is wrecked, when your life seems to be nothing but loss, when illness seems to be all there is, and when hurt has replaced your hope. Where do you seek shelter? Where do you run for rescuing? Where do you pursue protection? Because in these times, where where you turn shows where your trust is. That's what I want you to think through that. When times get hard, where you turn shows where your trust is. That says a lot. And this this psalm, the psalmist, which this psalm is attributed to King David, makes a clear point that there's only one primary place that anyone should pursue and run to for protection. Which then brings us to verse 1 of Psalm 16, 
which seems to be really a summary verse for the rest of Psalm 16. Verse 1 simply says, Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. So when things go south, what do you do? I'll tell you, I think what most of us end up doing, and I'll speak for the most, including me most of the time, I think, is we first search for solutions under our own strength. That's where we go to first. Like, what can I do? What should I do? What do we need to do? And go into planning mode and start thinking and going and doing. I mean, some first seek physicians or prescriptions for solutions. That's the first thing we do usually. Some others, the first thing that we may do is first seek our finances or even romances to fix our circumstances. And the question is, what do you do first? Because it speaks volumes to what you do first. Where do you run to first? Where do you go to first? And the psalmist here makes it clear that his first call and the one who clings to first for protection and provision is the Lord. The Lord is his shelter in life's storms and stresses. The Lord is whom he runs to first for rescuing and for refuge. In other words, the psalmist here says, how could you, would you run anywhere or to anyone else besides the Lord? In Psalm 55, the Lord says this. He says, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Which with that in mind, it makes Proverbs 3, 5 make perfect sense. Which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. We can do that because of who God is. And the point we want to see here is that we're trusting in the Lord's doing according to His choosing. We're trusting in the Lord's providing and protecting according to the Lord's willing. Proverbs 19.21 simply says, Many plans are in a person's heart. And I feel that every day. I got a lot of plans. And they're pretty good ones, I think. And when they go south, I don't feel so good about that because my plans were awesome, right? Like I got a good schedule laid out. If things goes off track, my day's all really out of whack. Psalm 19.21 again says, Many plans are on the person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. So man, that speaks volumes because my plans aren't perfect. So anything... Any time things go south, I still know that the Lord's plan will prevail. No matter what I'm going through, I know the Lord's plan will prevail. I don't know what kind of leadership I'm under. The Lord's plan will prevail. My confidence is in the Lord, not in people, places, circumstances. That's where we run to. That's what the psalmist is getting at. That's where we run to. And so the psalmist here says, yeah, I run to the Lord for protection, provision, and for shelter and security. Why? Because of who God is. He is the one that I run to first because he is the one that spoke all things in creation. Like, think about this. How did all things come into existence? He, God spoke. Cow. There's a cow. Steak. Praise God, right? Cow. He spoke things into existence. Everything that we see and know except for one thing, and that is people. The crown jewel of his creations he formed and breathed into. This is the God we run to first. The psalmist says, I, I turn first to the one who knows every star by name, right? The psalmist knows this, holds all the galaxies in his hand. 
I turn first to the one, as Psalm 50, verse 10 says, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That may not make sense here. It'd be like saying, owns the banks on a thousand street corners. You know what I'm saying? Like, all things are under his control. He's a provider, protector, sustainer. He is the security. And throughout biblical history, we see this. We see faith-filled followers living faith-filled lives because they know God's power over all things. And they know God's close proximity to his people who gives his power through all things. It changes everything that we go into or encounter because of who God is and his proximity to his people. James 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now take that for what that's worth. That means his proximity to you is based on you. Like think about that. It says, you draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. My question is, are we drawn near to him? Are we prioritizing that relationship? Are we seeking and pursuing him? Because when you do that, he will draw near to you. But at the same time, when you don't, he leaves us to our desires. And that's not where I want to be. I need more God. I don't know about you, but I need more him. That's why I pray for our church to us to see our need for him. On a moment-by-moment, second-by-second basis, we need him in everything and through everything. We need him. And as soon as we start seeing that, we'll start seeing our prayer lives grow, and we'll see God actually start moving our lives. Like many people, if I ask, man, what's God doing in your life? We don't even know. We don't even, can't even think about it because we never consider what he may be doing in our life. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. That means we draw near to God, He comes close to us, and when we rely on Him and His strength, He actually gives it to us. Because we can't do it on our own. And so we see that all throughout biblical history, maybe even through you experientially, that when they were weak, when they were worried or even weary, they run to God as a refuge and strength. This is what Psalm 46, 1 and 2 says. God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. That's encouraging. Times of trouble, always found. This says, therefore, we will not be afraid. What's that mean? When fear creeps in, that means our faith has shifted to ourselves and from God. Because when we see who God is, we have nothing to fear always found in times of trouble. So in other words, in any and all circumstances. He said, I will not be afraid of any adversity because the Almighty is always around me. The psalmist, if I paraphrase, seems to say, if I had nothing or no one, if I lost everything and everyone, God is still good and still good enough. He is still good and he is still my good enough. That's what verse 2 says. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. And this is crucial. When we put everything in its rightful place, then everything else falls into its rightful place. Meaning, understanding that everything else outside of the Lord himself is both temporary and transient. Everything else outside of the Lord himself, is both temporary and transient. And this is what he points at, the psalmist in here in Psalm 16, is that he is my everything. 
God is enough. And look at just the praise that he pours out based on who God is. In verse 5, Lord, you are my portion, my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. I mean, God gives direction. He speaks. He leads. And so I'll speak highly of him. He says, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. Let me ask you this. At night, do your thoughts trouble you? Do you stay up thinking about all the stresses and things that are coming the next day? Man, those moments. Bob talks about take every thought captive to obedience in Christ. And those moments, our faith is shifted to the worries and anxieties of what I need to do versus who God is. Man, when you start there, start abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, and remind yourself who God is, even though your circumstances may seem all kinds of crazy, that God is still in control. He says, even when I, at night, when my thoughts trouble me, he says he still blesses the Lord. He says, I will always let the Lord guide me. You always let the Lord guide you. He says, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because who God is, I will not be shaken. Things may be shaky, but I will not be shaken because of who God is. Not because who I am. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. This is a beautiful passage, but it all comes from, protect me, God, you are my refuge. And everything flows from there. And we see what this looks like. We see what this kind of faith looks like in the life of Job. And some of you know this well. Job embodied what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 16. See, Job in Job chapter 1, after losing everything, and go back and read Job 1, lost everything, he says this. First it says, Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. What does that mean? He wasn't happy right? Not happy. When you go through hard things, it doesn't mean you're happy. We confuse joy and happiness sometimes. Not the same. I don't in, enjoy going through hard times, but my joy isn't rooted in the times I go through. And so it says, clearly Job mourned, but he says he fell down to the ground and says he worshipped. Lost everything. Fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave. Means I didn't come with anything. I'm going to leave with nothing. Some of you have been around here a little bit longer. You may have said naked. That means really naked. I came in naked. But he says this, the Lord gives, which we like that part, and the Lord takes away. We don't like that part so much. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. So no matter what God does, based my wants or his will, blessed be the name of the Lord. I will praise him, I will speak highly of him, because he is still good. And then Job's wife chimes in. I just said Job lost everything besides his wife. And I'm convinced this isn't God's grace, this is still part of Satan's curse. Because she says this, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Not a Proverbs 31, wife, I'm just saying. But Job says this, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? I mean, this is key. This is key because I'm watching so many people who are dismantling or deconstructing their faith, is what it's called, right? 
And he falls on this because they were led to a Jesus that said, if you come to Jesus, everything gets better. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and well. That's not the Bible. So when the hard things happen, their foundation is like, well, I said if I came to Jesus, things would get great. But here I'm, I'm sick. I'm losing everybody. Death surrounds me. I walk through this dark valley. Where's Jesus? This is the heresy that we were taught. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean everything around you gets better. It means you get better. What I mean by that? It means you and your joy are now placed inside of Christ Jesus, in his security, in his hope, in his future. The psalmist says, you hold my future. You rest securely because you know who God is. You're secure in God. No matter what happens around you, you may not like it, it may hurt, but it doesn't change who you are because you are a child of God. We just sung it. Because you're faith alone in Christ Jesus alone, by God's grace alone, we are changed at the moment you believe. That somehow, some way, that Christ's death on the cross counted for you. He paid the price for our sin so that we can live with him at the moment you believe. And the problem is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And to make things worse, we can't do anything good about it. And by example, in this church, we let all the perfect people sit on the front row. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. That was crazy. I've been wanting to say that forever, but Jan usually sits here. That'd be rude. But what we see all through Psalms is this attitude. No matter what happens, God is so good. Psalm 107 verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. It doesn't say, when things go good, give thanks to the Lord. When things not so much, don't worry about it. It's never that. It's always give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Going through hard times, give thanks to the Lord. Going through great times, praise God. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord because He is good. His faithful love endures forever. So what we see this whole thing is that whole phrase, protect me, God, I take refuge in you. So what we need to start off with is that we're stronger together with God. Because we need Him. Our shelter, our sustainer, our provider, our protector. We're stronger together with God. And when God is our protection, it breeds a boldness and a confidence in us that will not cave or compromise in faithfully following the Lord, despite the consequences that may come our way. I told you another time, but it just always just resounds in my mind. I was on a, a mission trip to Southeast Asia, trying to just reach an unreached people group with the gospel. And out with this mission team from another church as well, and they were talking to the missionary we were working with, and they're just like, you know what? Being in God's will is the safest place you can be. Right? You've heard this. And the missionary said, that's nice. That's wrong. Sounds nice. Because it's not. It's not the safest place. Ask any missionary that put their life out there to be used by God. He sends them to some pretty horrible, difficult places for the sake of the gospel, for God's glory, and for the good of people there who are desperately lost without the gospel. Not safe. Not safe, but best. There's no place like it to be in God's will because nothing else matters when you know and experience God. As the psalmist says, you are my everything. So when God's your everything, everything else really comes less and less value, even your own life, because of who God is. 
That's what we see in the Bible. It brings a boldness to people's life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food and cold, without clothes, not to mention other things. So not that this was not all-encompassing. There's other things he dealt with too. And so when I read this, who wants to sign up for following Jesus? Right? The problem is you don't come to Jesus to get things. You come to Jesus because of who he is. That's where we get it twisted. We come to Jesus because we need him. So when you start needing him, nothing else matters. We realize so many things when we come to Jesus because of who he is versus what we want. A few things here that we need to understand. All this happened to Paul because of the name of Jesus. Jesus said, you will be hated because of my name. Again, we don't come to Jesus for comfort and security. We come to Jesus for a whole nother level of comfort, spiritual comfort, and security because of who he is. Not because I like AC, right? Not AC, DC. Air conditioning. I like my recliner. Not that kind of comfort. The comfort of knowing and resting in him. That he has it all in his hand. He's sovereign over all things all the time. So this all happened because of Jesus. Second thing we need to know, it's not mentioned in here, but Paul was not alone. He had others traveling with him. Meaning, we can't do this thing alone. You weren't meant to. Paul was not alone. And finally, Paul's perspective is something that we lose sometimes. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says this, For our momentary light affliction. Think about that. All that stuff he has listed, momentary, light, affliction, is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So his, protective, his perspective wasn't on the temporal, like ours mostly is, but the eternal. What's God doing through all things, even the mess? We see that in Peter and John who was arrested for proclaiming the gospel, for speaking the name of Jesus, and the religious leader called him back and said, listen, you stop talking about Jesus, and we're going to let you go. And Peter and John says this in Acts chapter 4, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's just the point. When you experience Jesus, you can't help but to share Jesus. But notice they were together. Doing this thing together, there's a boldness that comes in togetherness. And we see this in Daniel 3, and many of you know the accounts in Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, created this large statue. He said, when the music plays, you're going to worship that. You're going to fall down and worship that. And what happened? The music played, and then there's three guys that didn't fall down. So he comes to him like, what are you doing? Don't you know that if you don't bow down, I will throw you and kill you in this heated up furnace I got cooking? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But, they say, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, as king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. 
Amen. This is just it. This is what faith looks like. I don't know what God's going to do. I know He can. I don't know if He will. I know He's able. But through it all, I trust in Him because His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so what I want to gather from this is not only are we stronger together with God where it starts, but we're stronger together with other believers. And this, I think, is where we missed it a lot of times. And this is what the psalmist also both knew and valued. And in this whole passage we looked at, there's one verse that we can easily overlook, and that's verse 3. He says this, As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. And he says this, All my delight is in them. He said all my delight is in God, but he said all my delight is in them. What's he getting at? He's getting at the truth we see all throughout Scripture, that we were created to be in community. We need other people in our lives. It's a non-negotiable. Actually, the Bible speaks right to it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. And in 2023, we often neglect to gather together. Paul says, don't do that because you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You weren't meant to do that. You were created to be in community. You need other faith-filled followers in your life. I'm going to say it again. You need faith-filled followers in your life. Each of us needs a few others to lock arm in arm with. We need that. Because there's a spiritual battle raging and you cannot and you weren't meant to fight it on your own. You hear me say every time we close our worship gathering, I'll say it again later, that the church isn't something you do. The church isn't a place you go to. The church is a people you belong to. That's what the Bible shows us. That's the truth. We often think it's a thing we go to place we, we go to, a thing we do. No, it's a people you belong to. That's what church is. And so with that, we have to remember church is not a spectator sport. We live in a very consumeristic mentality and culture that doesn't need to flow into the church, and it should not. It's not a spectator sport. So many times people, we come, and we're like, man, I just, I just wasn't feeling it today, right? I just wasn't feeling worship today. Well, at one hand, I'm sorry, but at the other hand, like, like, we weren't worshiping you. Or that wasn't our aim. We have to see that we're active contributors to a group of people called the church. That's what the Bible shows. We're called to be active contributors to the church, this faith family. And we have to say we're a church for every, anyone. We're a church for anyone, but we're not a church for everyone. And what that means is that not everybody likes to be challenged in the way that this church will challenge you. For instance, you were created to serve, you need to serve. It's in the Bible. Argue with that. You were created to serve, you've been spiritually gifted, use it. If not, there's no excuse. Busyness is not an excuse. You were called to be in relationships. Do that. I know your schedule's full. I know you have no margin for anything else. Can I be, can I be blunt? All right, Grace and truth, I, I'm trying to balance that. That's a you problem. Like, honestly. So many times we let our culture dictate what we do versus what actually Christ commanded us to do. Getting ahead of myself. 
It's interesting here, the psalmist doesn't seem to differentiate between God's provision and godly people. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. warm but how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. This says this, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. What we need to remind ourselves to really remember is that we're stronger together. We're stronger with one another. We need one another. At this point, I came across this quote from the Mayo Clinic talking about relationships, and it says this, adults with strong social connections have a reduced risk of many significant health problems, including depression, high blood pressure, and unhealthy body mass index. In fact, studies have found that older adults who have meaningful relationships and social support are likely to live longer than their peer, peers with fewer connections. Do you know why? You know, we know what the Mayo Clinic doesn't know. Because God created you to be in community. You were not meant to be in isolation. You weren't meant to be alone. You need other people. And we see God establishing his church as one of the ways to do just that. It's interesting. We actually, watching kids, my kids at the park is funny to me, for various reasons. But one specifically is that you see just the desire to know other people. My kids will just go up and start making friends in the park. They only know each other. They'll start talking to people. You want to come play with me? Sure, I'll come play with you. And, and I'm wondering, as I'm watching this and I'm thinking through this, what happens to us? Why do we stop seeing people as people and start getting stuck and isolated and distant and not needing relationships? What happens? It ain't good. What we need to know is that we need one another. I'm going to challenge us in a couple specific ways. Women. Women, you need a squad of sisters. You know what I'm talking about? Other women, again, lock arms with, that really have your back. That you can speak in their lives and they can speak in yours. But I'm going to take a second to talk to the men. Because here's, here's why. All I'm about to say applies to you as well, right? But just in my experience, that women are generally good at building relationships, seeking out relationships. You know who are terrible at it? Men. Y'all know this? Ain't a secret. Men are terrible at seeking out friendships. Men are terrible at seeking out relationships, meaningful relationships. I'm not talking about just some casual contacts. And men, maybe some men are in here, you guys are killing it. Praise God. I bet you're not killing it the way the Bible would have you to. Men, you need a band of brothers. Again, to lock arms with, to do life with, to face life's battles with. You need other men that you can count on. You need other friends that you can count on. Let me just pause there for a second because I'll hear this every once in a while. You know, my wife is my best friend. Praise God. Amazing. No doubt. She just can't be your only best friend. Because no one will understand you better than another man. Your wife knows you at a certain level, and no doubt. But you can't be your only relationship. Cannot be. And we've tried to organize these things as a church, as a faith family, as we see the Bible, and meaningful relationships. 
So men, you need to be in relationships. We have discipleship groups. And if you're not in a discipleship group, prayerfully consider being in a discipleship group. This is what we do, and we haven't seen so much health come from anything that I've ever seen in any church aside from these discipleship groups. Because what we look at is Scripture, what do we do? What do people do in Scripture? Let's do that. Men, if you're not serving, you need to be serving. You need to be leading. If you're confused about where you're gifted or where you can serve at, we offer this connecting point class. It's a resource, but you need to be leading. You were actually created to lead. I mean, if you're married, you're actually created to lead your wife in a way that brings her closer to Christ by you showing and loving her sacrificially as Christ loved the church. See Ephesians 5. It's a high calling. If you have kids, you're called to lead them and love them in a similar way, but to know and follow the Lord. I mean, you're called to lead in the church in a very specific way. But we've advocated our leadership responsibility so many different ways. We need to be leading. We need to be serving. We need to be in discipleship relationships. We even have a men's ministry, right? This Thursday, we're meeting for a men's ministry. We meet on the third Thursday of every month. But following that, we're actually going to start a Thursday night Bible study for men only. I believe that the health of the church lands on the man. I just believe it. The Bible speaks to it. We can talk more later if you have disagreements. See, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. But men need to start leading and following in the way that's biblically sound. Everyone needs these relationships, though. Let me kind of conclude things with this. I want to challenge you in three different relationships. And I've seen this taught different ways, but it's obviously biblical, but I think it's sound and It'll confront many areas that we have issues with for our relationships. Let me go here. Paul, Timothy, Barnabas. Right? You know these guys? Paul, Timothy, Barnabas. We all need and need to be one of these guys at all times. We all need a Paul and need to be a Paul. That means we all need someone to disciple, mentor us. I don't care how old and much life experience you have, you still need someone to disciple and mentor you. So who's your Paul? I don't know, women, who's your Paul at? I don't know, what do you want to do with that? Who is it? If you don't have one, seek one. I'm telling you, I was thinking about that this week and realized I don't really have this person in my life. Not to the way that I would like it. So what I do, I had to reach out to someone that has more life experience than me and ask them to get lunch and start developing that relationship. We all need someone to be pouring into us. We all need a Timothy, someone that you're discipling and mentoring, someone you're pouring into. Who's that person? And they all need a Barnabas. There's just this co-laborer, friend, encourager, someone that could speak into your life, knowing that he cares for you, she cares for you, and that you care for them. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Not that because his daddy's name was encouragement. That's who he embodied. This man was an encourager. I wonder how many of us need encouragement and need to be an encourager. So start praying through and think through, God, who are these relationships in my life? Who's my Paul? Who's my Timothy? Who's my Barnabas? And who am I a Paul to? Who am I a Timothy to? And who am I a Barnabas to? We need these relationships. 
because we're stronger together with faith-filled friendships. We need them. We need the church. We need one another. And then Psalm 16 closes with this. In reference to all who God is, he says, verse 11, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. So as we think about all who God is, and we're stronger with him, and the people he's provided are faithful friendships. We're stronger together with them. But all this is to point us to an eternal reality that is coming. It's both now and coming. On already, but not yet. That is, everyone is an eternal being. Everyone. Everyone was created with purpose. And it's primarily to know God. It all starts there. None of this we talked about this morning makes sense until you know who God is. Here's a great part. God's made a way for you to know who he is. It's through the person of Jesus. He's made the way. Even though we've all sinned and fall short, even though we can't do anything good enough, the Bible says our good deeds are like filthy rags. God stepped out of heaven, lived a life that we were commanded to live but couldn't. Perfect. And took our place, dying the death that we deserve, so that everyone who believes in Jesus, his finished work on the cross, your faith is credited as righteousness, a right standing with God. And this is good news. God isn't some distant, faraway deity. He's a personally present God who the Bible calls the good father. And I desire for everyone to have that relationship to with him, to know him as a good father, not some God who's looking to punish people if you step wrongly. It's not like that. That's not what good dads do. And some of us had good dads, and God is better. So as our dads, and men, my kids could not do anything that would ever remove my love for them, and God is better. So I'm about what you've been through, what you're going through now, but God is not far away from anyone who calls out to Him for salvation. By faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, by God giving you something you didn't deserve, grace alone. So I don't know where you are, but man, come with your junk, come with your baggage, come with your trials, your difficulties, and come to Jesus and let Him be the change agent in your life. So many times we want to get our life together, and I I try and encourage people, come to Jesus. Like, put your faith in Jesus. Ah, I just can't right now because I got this thing going on. I'm drinking, I'm smoking, I'm doing drugs, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. Come to Jesus. Not that those things don't matter. But you come to Jesus because you cannot... Live the life that God's called you to under your own strength. Romans 8.8 8 says, the flesh, be in the flesh, you cannot please God. Come to Jesus and let him start doing the change in your life. If you could do the change, his death on the cross was wasted. If you can do all the right things, his death on the cross was wasted. Meaningless, but we know that's not the case. So what God's laying in your heart this morning. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's priority of seeking God first. Maybe you've seen that you need better, deeper, meaningful relationships in your life. Maybe for the first time you've seen the amazing God's grace and how God's calling you to himself to stop filling yourself with your own faith and start coming by faith to Christ and let the Holy Spirit just wash and cleanse over you and make you new in your walk with Jesus. I don't know what God's doing, but I'm asking you to respond. It's not me. God's asking you to respond. Again, it's your choice. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. My question for you is, are you going to draw near to God? 
And we're going to respond, and we're going to, we're going to sing. We're going to praise God because who He is. I'm going to go invite the band back up, and we're going to sing one more song, and we're going to do some praying. And this is what this looks like. I'm, I'm going to pray for us here in a minute, but I want to leave space for you to pray just in the silence of your own heart and deal with God and what He's put in, in your heart, on your mind. We're going to have a prayer team over to the side as we sing this last song. And so for many, the right response will be standing and singing. For many others, maybe the right response is sitting and praying. And for even others, we'll have a prayer team over here. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. But you respond. You respond to God's grace, His kindness, His mercy. Respond in thanksgiving. Respond to what He's laying on your heart. But all this revolves around following Jesus. So if you're following Jesus for the first time right now, saying, I'm following Jesus, I'm putting my faith in Him, knowing that somehow, some way, He died for me, I need that. Then you let us pray for you. If for the first time you're like, you know what, I'm following Jesus, but I want to take the next step, maybe for you the next step is baptism. We'd love to walk with you and pray with you through that. Whatever God's laying in your heart, do that and respond to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the reminder of your goodness and your faithfulness and your closeness to us. Lord, help us never to get over the good news of the gospel. Help us never to grow just complacent to following you, to resting in you, to security and rest that we're able to have in you because of who you are. So when struggles and stresses and anxieties and fears and all these things creep into our mind, help us to take those thoughts and those feelings captive and run to you as our refuge, our protection, our shelter, our security, our strength. Help us to see those as check engine lights, seeing our faith has shifted to our circumstances and to our own strength and run to you, the provider, protector, sustainer, Father, we thank you because you are so good that you remain faithful even when we are faithless. Lord, continue, we ask, that you build our faith. Help us to continue to see you more clearly, not only in this moment, but in this day, in this upcoming week. Help us to fix our focus on you, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you, Father. Lead us as we respond. Lead us in worship. Lead us in this rest of the day that you have given us. We pray all this in the name that's above every other name, the name and the only to which we can be saved. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.